This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, March 9th, 2021. I'm your host, Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ellie Shannon will be updating you on campus news, and then I'll be delivering local news. After that, we'll be hearing from KCSU Sports Director Dixon Lawson, and we'll be hearing recent highlights from Maddie Erskine's live in-studio session. Then, our newest newscaster, Jacob Selby, will be delivering some national news. He'll be hearing an episode of Takes from the Anthropocene. After that, I'll be giving new information on COVID-19. To conclude the show, Cud will be giving some updates on technology, and I'll be telling you about the weirdest stories I've found recently. Let's move right into campus and local news. This past year has brought some interesting challenges, and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. Hello, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and this is your local news for today on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Larimer County has reported 10 new COVID-19 outbreaks last week, with locations among several youth sports and recreation facilities and Poudre High School, among others. According to J.C. Marmaduke and Pat Ferrier at the Coloradoan, while there were 10 new logged outbreaks as of Friday, almost a dozen other outbreaks shifted to resolved status, meaning that they haven't seen a new case in at least two weeks, bringing the total number of active outbreaks in the county down to 72 last week compared to 73 the previous week. The largest outbreak reported last week was at Premier Gymnastics on East 11th Street in Loveland, which reported 18 cases, 11 of which are students. Premier owner Richard Viriel said that the cases resulted from a competition the gymnasts attended. The other larger newly reported outbreak last week is at Poudre High School, where the county is reporting seven cases among students and one among staff. Poudre School District's COVID-19 dashboard reports a cumulative total of 20 cases at the school over the last 28 days, with 17 cases among students. There is often a lag between the progression of an outbreak and the numbers reported in the county data. Other newly reported outbreaks occurred at Loveland Volleyball Club, with four cases among attendees, Smoke and Dave's Barbecue and Tap House with four cases among staff, the Center for Autism and Related Disorders with four cases among staff, the Northern Colorado Youth Hockey with two cases among attendees, Larimer County Road and Bridge with two cases among staff, the City of Fort Collins Operations Services Department with two cases among staff, Fred Loya slash National Insurance in Loveland with two cases among staff, and Corcat Data Solutions LLC with two cases among staff. A survey among Northern Fort Collins businesses have found that businesses are reporting an increase in problematic interactions with homeless people since the opening of a new temporary homeless shelter at Blue Spruce. According to Pat Ferrier at the Coloradoan, as the city's second homelessness advisory committee hones in on recommendations for the size, shape, and location of a 24-7 homeless shelter, the North Fort Collins Business Association released results of a survey detailing members' encounters with transient and homeless individuals. The nine-question survey asked members about specific issues and whether interactions had increased since the Blue Spruce Drive overnight shelter for men opened in the fall. About 80 members responded, and while the results are anecdotal, 
NFCBA chairman Dean Hogue says that they, quote, give us a better picture of what's going on. There are a lot of incidents that aren't reported to the police. Reports range from loitering, littering, and aggressive panhandling to drug deals, overnight camping, and harassment. Nearly 70% of those answering the survey said incidents had increased since the temporary shelter opened, and 48 said that they reported the issues to the police or Outreach Fort Collins, a street-based outreach program. Police data from the area of temporary homeless shelters show an increase of a number of complaints involving transient individuals from November 1st to February 10th compared with the same time last year. Police Lieutenant Jerry Scheiger cautioned that the data from the police department's computer-aided dispatch system was prepared for NFCBA, quote, is good for looking at overall police activity in an area, but may not translate directly into crime, end quote. Three cases of the COVID-19 variant originating in South Africa have been reported at a Colorado correctional facility. According to the Associated Press, the Colorado State Public Health Laboratory said that two employees and one inmate tested positive after being randomly selected for tests intended to detect potential variants. They are now in quarantine. The South African variant, as reported by the BBC, is not known to be more dangerous than the most common strain of COVID-19, but there are concerns that it may be able to spread more quickly and that vaccines may not work as well against it. The state lab is expected to check all confirmed COVID-19 positive results for the variant. People who test negative for COVID-19 and its variants are expected to receive vaccinations, including family members and those who have been in close contact with workers at the facility. The vaccinations at the facility are part of a health department policy that has prioritized people, quote, for emerging risk of rapid spread of COVID-19, end quote, health officials said. The Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment is investigating an outbreak at the facility that began in October. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said that the variant from South Africa spreads quickly and is more contagious. The Buena Vista Correctional Complex is a state prison for men about 100 miles west of Colorado Springs. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. We're about to go on a short break, but stay tuned for the RMR Sports Report with Dixon Lawson, coming up next. And you're tuned in to the RMR Sports Report for the week of March 8th. To get us started, we're going to recap all of the games that happened on Friday. First up, we have a makeup from 220. That is the men's basketball team playing at Nevada. 
It was a 82 to 85 loss before the upcoming tournament. As well, we had uh, the women and men both running in the cross country uh, Mountain West Championship. Women took third and the men took fourth. As well, we had soccer playing. They played New Mexico. They took a one to four loss in that one. Moving on, softball is getting their season underway. Down at the UNC CSU tournament, they took a 7-2 win over Northern Colorado, as well as a 10-1 win versus Oregon State. As well as later that night, women's basketball also played New Mexico. They took a 62-71 loss before the upcoming tournament. Moving on to Saturday, we also had... Uh, day two of the UNC CSU tournament. Once again, softball taken on Oregon State. They walk away once again victorious 4-3. to three. Not as big as the 10-1 to one blowout. Um, as well, women's tennis had their match postponed against Weber State. And softball had the remainder or the final game of the UNC CSU tournament. That one it was against South Dakota State. It was a 0-6 to six loss. On Monday, we had the start of the women's basketball tournament from the Mountain West Tournament in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, unfortunately, it was a tough start for CSU women's basketball. They took an opening loss to number 6, Boise State, 65-78 to in that one. Um, so that, unfortunately, will do it for women's basketball. Men's basketball will be getting underway at 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time. In the Mountain West Tournament champion or quarterfinals, excuse me, soccer will also be playing uh, at Colorado College on Thursday. Before we wrap up, just have a special announcement on Thursday for Ramblers. We will be having a special interview with Scott Niles of CTV. He will be joining me on the show to break down the men's and women's uh, men's or Mountain West basketball tournament. So that'll be a lot of fun. Be sure to check it out. That is Thursday, 7 to 9. In the meantime, though, be sure to keep it locked here on the RMR. Tune in every Tuesday and Thursday, 4 to 5 p.m. to get all the latest news and updates. My name is Dixon Lawson, and this has been the RMR Sports Report for the week of March 9th. This past year has brought some interesting challenges, and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. KCSU Fort Collins. My name is Maddie Erskine and welcome to this week's live in studio. Today I am here with local indie pop artist Miranda Fling. Thank you so much for joining me Miranda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah so Miranda just released her new album Wishful Thinking last week um, and she's going to play some songs for us today. Um, So who are some specific like musicians who have inspired you uh, particularly with like the overall sound that you're going for yeah for sure so I've really been into this smaller musician Lizzie McAlpine um she does more acoustic um songs and then as far as more of the indie pop like bedroom pop I really love Gracie Abrams um I feel like they both have kind of the more quiet sound to them like I do and so I really look up to them 
I, I definitely see that. You have a very laid back like presentation with you. Like this, it's just a very like, I don't know how to describe it. Great. I think the dreamlike feeling is the perfect description of it because that's what it is. It's almost like, it's like the perfect background music for your thoughts in a way. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. Um, so I guess it's time to get back to some music. So you have coming up next is Mulberry Street. Do you just want to talk a little bit about what that song is about? Totally. Yeah. So Mulberry Street is actually about my squeaky college house. Um, and my roommates who cause all the squeaking upstairs. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, we had two years in that house and a lot of fun, a lot of good memories. So this is just like reflecting on those. Perfect. Well, coming up next is Mulberry Street by Miranda Fling, live right here on 90.5 KCSU. Last night I was stuck in a dream Dancing around the living room and the dirty kitchen sink We're laughing but we don't know what it means I'm just stumbling over my shoes and the floor is a trampoline But today Sitting on the driveway Busy streets just like the highway I kinda wish I could stay I know I'll miss it in the worst way Squeaky floors and busy Sundays Washing dishes after birthdays Talking late about the somedays Somedays Stuck at 17 But today I'm feeling pretty In the shirt that Emma gave me And we're just figuring things out And it would be so much harder To do it by ourselves But today Sitting on the driveway streets just like the highway I kinda wish I could stay I know I'll miss it in the worst way Squeaky floors and busy Sundays Washing dishes after birthdays Talking late about the Sundays Sundays That was Mulberry Street by Miranda Fling, live here on KCSU. Uh, I was not expecting that version just because I've heard the other version so much, and it was beautiful. It gave me Thank goosebumps. <laughs> I was like, there's no backup vocals. This is going to be strange. It was gorgeous. I loved it. So we're going to go right into another song. So coming, right, coming up next is Someone Else by Miranda Fling, live on 90.5 KCSU.
You just heard Someone Else by Miranda Fling live here on 90.5 KCSU. It just, it feels wonderful to be back live on air. Yes. It's beautiful. I guess this is your, is this your first time live on air? Yes. First time live singing anything. 
That's super, super fun. How, so how is it going so far? Super exciting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love the studio here. It's so cute. <laughs> yes. Those are actually all those flowers. I actually brought those in. They used to be in my room like years and years ago. Uh-huh. I love them. <laughs> and I was like, you know where they'd look really cool? <laughs> in the station. <laughs> um, I think that's how a lot of these decorations ended up here. Just staff. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, we chatted a few months ago about, um, for Sonic Spotlight. You were a finalist or you won. You won Sonic Spotlight. That You were finalist way back then. <laughs> yeah. It was super, super awesome experience. <laughs> Absolutely. And so we were chatting um, about like your songwriting process and just how you're inspired a lot by day-to-day stuff like with Mulberry Street. But your song, Someone Else, is a bit more emotional, a bit different. Uh, do you have a different process for songs like that? Yeah, so this one specifically, I rewrote it like six times um, because there, like, just my feelings about the situation kept changing and I kept trying to put light on it. Um, there was a point where I wanted to make it like almost doo or like poppy. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, ah, I'm just going to keep it like sounding kind of sad because that was just like the situation. Um, I definitely. Yeah, for a song like this, it's definitely more inspired by a feeling rather than, like, a day-to-day event. Um, yeah, or just, like, a situation, the feelings behind it. So um, songs like that kind of more, like, come to me in lyrics instead of, like, a tune. Um, and then I just figure out how I want it to sound. That's so cool. And, yeah, you have a lot of, like, I feel like variety with your songs. And I was scrolling on Instagram yesterday, which is perfect timing and saw that you were talking about how you wrote uh call me before midnight that first track on your new album um overnight as you like dozed in and out of sleep yeah that one was weird and that's why it's so dramatic that's probably my most well one of my most dramatic songs just because I was so tired and then you know when you're just like so tired you're just dramatic I don't know oh I totally I I totally get that I was having one of those nights last night funny enough I was dog sitting and was just up all night and I was like darn you know I should have written a song when I was like getting up out of bed to let this dog outside (laughs) it's the best time (laughs) I, I agree I agree so you yeah you have this like more so your songs come naturally most of the time I feel um and then you sit down and workshop other songs is yeah so typically my process I like to get a demo in to GarageBand or whatever or on my phone even just like sing it so that I can kind of work off of that um and then I'll pretty much like play around with it for a couple months like keep listening to it and being like oh maybe these harmonies will sound cool um but my first step is usually to get some sort of like actual physical demo down so that I can either send it to people and be like Mm -hmm. hey do you like this what should I do with this or um, just kind of keep it in my brain, keep like thinking about it after that. That's super smart. Cause I'm going to say whenever I write down like anything I want to remember, I'll, I'll write it down and I'll forget where like I write it or something. So yeah. I think having that like audio to listen back to is definitely very good advice actually. <laughs> <laughs> Start doing voice memos for everything yeah. I have to remember. No, it's very helpful. Yeah. Very helpful. Um, yeah. So this past year has been crazy for you with Sonic Spotlight, this new album. How have you grown as a musician? Yeah. So it's still very, very, very new to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I have like so much to learn, but it has been, I guess the biggest thing I've learned is just like that Fort Collins has a lot of really supportive other musicians who are mm-hmm. super down to like help you out or listen to your stuff. And it's been really awesome to get to know the community. Pretty sure. Remind me again, are you from Fort Collins? 
I'm from Denver area, like the Denver mm-hmm. area, suburbs of Denver, pretty much. Nice, but, nice. Yeah, so it's like newer. C- yes, yes. It's definitely more, I guess there's more of a culture in Fort Collins than the suburbs, you know, obviously. Yeah, but. for sure. Uh, I mean, we're technically suburbs too, but that's, we have- Yeah, no, that's true. We yeah. have like the music <laughs> district and a bit more, I think, like city community vibes happening. Yes. Uh, probably mainly just because I think we have that, co- you know, CSU, we have the, the college. college town. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. I think that's what it is as well. Yeah, I guess my last like big question for you is just like, what song on this album do you feel like you have the biggest personal connection to? I know it's kind of a tough question. Yeah, no, I think that, um, well, I'm about to play one called It's Fine. And that one of all of them feels like my song. Yeah. Like I think some of the other ones, um, I don't know, I'll, I'll like write it and be like, ah, I don't know, I don't like it. But this one, I feel like it was... I wrote it and I was like, wow, I think this is like, I like this one. (laughs) It was the first one where I was like, oh, I think like if I heard somebody else sing this, I would want to hear, you you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you never know if the songs that you write, uh, like other people will like it or if you like it, Mm -hmm. but this one I actually like. That's fantastic. (laughs) If that makes sense. It's good to like your own music for sure. And I, I think that it's good to have like a song that you connect with of your own music. That's something you can like reassure yourself with. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because then it's like, okay, I understand why that person gave me, like, a compliment instead of being like, no. uh." (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of imposter syndrome. (laughs) Uh, Well, I promise you, you're you're not um, faking your musical talent. Do not do not fear. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. (laughs) Of course. As we're wrapping up, is there anything else you'd just like to let listeners know? Um, Yeah. I'm, I guess I released an album on March 1st. So yes. yeah, if you want to check that out, that would be amazing. Yeah, that's wishful thinking. It's so fun. I really like the cover. Who, who did the cover art for that, out of curiosity? So we were just doing homework outside in our backyard, and my friend like snagged a picture, and then I just used it. That's genius. That's fantastic. That's how great cover art is born. Yeah. I, I absolutely love it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today, Miranda. Thanks, Maddie. Of course. Well, listeners, if you missed any of this in studio, do not worry. It will be up on our website, kcsufm.com. My name is Maddie Erskine, a local music director. And once again, just thank you all so much for tuning in to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. All right, we will be right back again. That was Maddie Erskine with her first actual in-person in studio with an artist. We will be right back with national news with Jacob Selby, followed by a feature of Takes from the Anthropocene.
Support for KCSU comes from the Lisa Rinkjob Agency Incorporated with American Family Insurance, with offices located in Fort Collins and Greeley. Protection, peace of mind, and trust has been their priority since 1992. Learn more about Lisa Rinkjob Agency Incorporated and American Family Insurance at lisarinkjob at ampfam.com. Hello, I'm Jacob Selby, and these are the national news highlights for March 9th. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention now says it is safe for people who have received a COVID-19 vaccination to gather indoors without using masks. According to Mike Stobie of the Associated Press, fully vaccinated people can now gather indoors without wearing a mask as long as the other people have also received their vaccine. This comes as good news for many Americans who have had difficulty following the mask guidelines set by the CDC in 2020. The organization also says people who have been vaccinated may visit others in a single household as long as they are in a low-risk category, such as children. The new guidelines addressed a growing demand from many Americans for greater freedom for visiting loved ones, traveling, and daily life. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky called the decision a first step to restoring normalcy in how people socialize and come together. However, the new guidance does not apply to people who have not yet received their vaccine, or refuse to get one. The CDC also recommends that people who have been vaccinated still follow guidelines for social distancing. The organization has not changed its guidance on travel restrictions or restaurants. Even if some local governments may have relaxed restrictions, the CDC highly recommends following its guidance for public welfare. The U.S. House of Representatives is poised to vote on $1.9 trillion of COVID-19 relief today. According to Barbara Sprunt of NPR News, the Senate voted 50-49 to 49 to approve the plan on Saturday. The plan will bring a new round of relief payments to eligible Americans to help relieve financial strain caused by the economic impact of global lockdowns. The plan also includes an increase of child tax credits as well as an extension of supplemental unemployment benefits. The House is hoping to have bipartisan support for the new legislation, which many are calling life-saving. However, bipartisan support for the bill is unlikely from the American right who have criticized the Democrats as going it alone by passing the package using budget reconciliation. The legislation is still expected to pass despite not having any Republican support. The National Transportation Safety Board has released new information about the United Aircraft which suffered an uncontained engine failure over Denver on February 20th. According to Jay Singh of Simple Flying, the NTSB has discovered new details relating to the failure of the jet's Pratt & Whitney 4077 engine, which suffered a catastrophic failure, forcing the aircraft to land back at DIA after takeoff. The aircraft, a Boeing 777, has been in service with United Airlines since the early 1990s. Minutes after takeoff, a fan disc failure on the right side engine led to an explosion and engine fire, severely damaging the engine and causing damage to the body of the aircraft. Unfortunately, the pilots were able to land the aircraft without incident, and there were no reported injuries. However, some property on the ground in the Denver area was damaged by falling debris. Two similar incidents on a United 777 and Japanese 777 occurred in recent years. Many airlines around the world have chosen to temporarily ground their 777s while the investigation is underway. An analysis of the plane's engine has now shown that the failure was caused by unchecked metal fatigue in a portion of the engine's fan blade. The engine on the incident aircraft has been used on over 3,000 flights since its last inspection. 
Pratt & Whitney has now issued a notice to airlines to begin inspecting the blades every 1,000 cycles of use. The Federal Aviation Administration has followed up with an emergency airworthiness directive to inspect all aircraft with the affected engine model. While the issue affects some 777s, it is important to note that not all 777 aircraft use the Pratt & Whitney 4077 engine, and that aircraft which do not use it have not been affected by the fan blade issue. United's 777s have remained grounded since the incident. That's all for the National News Highlights. I'm Jacob Selby, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins 90.5 FM. Again, that was Jacob Selby with National News Highlights. Now we're going to be hearing a podcast episode from KCSU exclusive podcast takes from the Anthropocene. You just heard National News Highlights with Jacob Selby. Now we're going to be listening to an episode of Takes from the Anthropocene. In about 10 minutes, we're going to be hearing the COVID-19 updates for Tuesday. This episode is called How Indigenous Strategies Like Curated Burns Can Save Our Forests. For today's podcast, we have speaker Althea Kress here. She's here to talk about something that's been pretty prevalent in the news recently, which is all the wildfires that have been happening. Yeah, hi, my name is Althea Kress, and I'm a senior majoring in cultural anthropology at CSU. And I actually grew up in a small town not far from here in the mountains outside of Boulder that has faced two mandatory evacuations this year alone because of wildfires that are threatening the communities. My community and others like it have been threatened by disastrous wildfires repeatedly. And when the fires come, end up actually coming through an area, it really is truly devastating to the people that live there as well as the ecosystems that are surround it and are supported by it. Increased forest fire activity across the western United States in recent decades has contributed to this widespread forest mortality, um, increased carbon emissions, periods of degraded air quality, which we all experienced this summer, and is the result of substantial fire suppression, and the risks are further amplified by climate change. The wildfires in Colorado are disasters that threaten people's lives and their homes, as well as the natural ecosystem. This acute damage can be rectified and mitigated through proper forest management, which definitely needs a closer look. So I guess my first question is, how does the threat of wildfires impact communities? This continuous threat of disaster and this fear of losing your community and losing your entire livelihood is a continuous stressor. And it's really emotional for people and it's really hard. And when places are actually destroyed and people lose their homes, it's truly devastating and very hard to rebuild from because it's in these remote locations with these houses that have been there for like many, many years. And so people don't always have the resources to do so. And many of these people in these communities are isolated from this decision-making process about how the land around them is managed and have less social capital because they live in this more closed network of these really small mountain communities. And the people in these places also have this deep place attachment based on generations of living in these places. And there is these this incredible uniqueness that I know I have experienced living in these communities that makes it hard for people to want to exist outside of them because that lifestyle is so unique and they are so tied to that place and to the importance of living in that ecosystem. And lots of people's livelihoods depend on that ecosystem around them as well. And they depend on this intact social network because they only are largely existing in these isolated communities. And then when wildfires do come through and destroy these communities, it's very difficult to recover from them as a consequence of their interconnectedness. And because it, disaster is inherently a shared experience, that means that entire communities are having to rebuild. My next question is, 
so I can see like how impacted the people are. Curious, what are the environmental risk factors that lead to these increased wildfires as we've seen a really large increase in the past couple of years? So there has been a buildup of fuels in the environment. And those fuels are increasing in aridity also because they decrease precipitation in these fire-prone zones, which makes the potential damage from fires much greater. So fuels is what is likely to burn. And because there has been little clean-out in this forest management schema, they are allowed to build up and then they burn larger and hotter. So then it creates damage in these ecosystems as opposed to being a healthy burn. Other (laughs) risk factors include (laughs) insect and disease outbreaks. Uh, They're often the result of human introduction of non-native species, whether intentional or not. And because these forests are overcrowded, then they're able to spread more easily between populations. There is also this traditional concept of a fire season, which is expanding to a nearly near-round problem because of climate change, because these places are drier, and because they are kind of experiencing this tinderbox effect. Changes in the climate and the forest mismanagement, such as fire suppression, have contributed to more widespread burning, quantitatively more fires, larger burned areas, and longer fire seasons in the entire western U.S., including Colorado. So it sounds like you mentioned forest mismanagement, and I'm curious how the Forest Service kind of of the United States can have an impact on wildfires. So historically, our Western model of wildlands management in general has focused on this separation of people from wilderness. Wilderness is seen as something to be managed, but there is a tendency for us to overestimate how much we know about ecosystems and to act without substantiated research. This began centuries ago when people were just trying to settle this land and fires were truly devastating to trying and setting up these communities. So Western settlers perceived these fires as dangerous and unhealthy. So they were suppressed and discouraged, which set a precedent for the following centuries, uh, which is ultimately what brought us to the situation today of very precarious forests and and fire prone areas that are set up to burn because they haven't been allowed to based on the forest management principles. Human communities are also encroaching into these natural habitats that we have reserved, but we are also not allowing the forest ecosystems to operate as they would if these forests were healthy. The forests are overcrowded, which means that it's easier for diseases and infestations to spread. There are unbalanced species relationships and immense fuel buildup. That means that when wildfires occur, they are much larger, more harmful, and harder to control than they would be if the forests were properly managed. This history of fire suppression means that when wildfires inevitably happen, they cause long-term damage to ecosystems that would be completely avoidable if a model was used that more appropriately framed the relationship of human-initiated fires and forest health. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'm curious if these current methods of forest management aren't working, do you have anything that we think we should be doing instead? So I really think that what we should be looking to is this indigenous fire stewardship model, and it should be the focus for managing fire-prone areas. It involves the use of fire by indigenous people to encourage desired environmental conditions through deliberately set fires and to mitigate fire susceptibility. This means that initiating planned regular burns not only causes less damage, but ultimately improves ecosystem health and can ultimately keep communities safe as well. Traditional indigenous law emphasizes this reciprocal relationship of humans within the natural environment and puts this focus on the health of the ecosystem as a whole as opposed to the western separation of humans being separate from wildlands. This means the traditional indigenous law emphasizes the reciprocal relationship of humans within the natural environment and puts more focus on the health of the system as a whole. 
That means that through doing these burns, we can improve the entire ecosystem health. And this is in contrast to the Western model, which separates human from the environment and doesn't see our involvement in it as beneficial in any case, which is just incorrect. Traditional knowledge about how to cultivate this relationship with fire consists not only of individual experiences, but also of the lived experiences of many generations of fire experts. This means that there's a substantial body of knowledge supporting the use of fire to manage and create healthy forests. The land that is burning now has been taken from tribes and they have a much longer history of properly managing these forests have been largely cut out of deciding how that land is used. An important step to healing these fire-prone systems and using their knowledge is decolonizing the fire management system and including tribal experts as guides for how to approach the catastrophic problem of disastrous wildfires. It is vital to actively engage with this process, but in order for these harmful wildfires to cease, there needs to be both public and governmental support and acknowledgement of tribal rights and the validity of their traditional ecological knowledge. Yeah, thank you. Do you have kind of any last thoughts to leave us with today? Yeah, just to kind of wrap it up, wildfires have been incredibly damaging to communities and ecosystems because forests have been mismanaged and our relationship to the natural world is currently out of balance. It is possible to rectify this by employing forest management methods that are led by indigenous practices. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Althea. If you missed any part of this episode of Takes from the Anthropocene, you can listen in at kcsufm.com or on our Spotify page. Now we're going to be taking a quick break before going into COVID-19 updates. Cons Bike Co-op is an organization whose mission is to build community through bicycling. They provide the tools and expertise to help fix up any bike, new or old. Hours of operation are Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, 2 to 5 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. For more information, check out their Facebook page, for Collins Bike Co-op, or email info at fcbikecoop.org. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is COVID-19 Updates for Tuesday. Colorado State University is starting to go down from a recent rise in cases. The university has a cumulative total of over 2,500 cases among students, staff, and faculty. Larimer County currently is at a medium risk score for COVID-19 and a level yellow concern on the state's most recent version of the dial framework. The county has a cumulative total of over 20,000 cases and over 200 deaths. There are 365 outbreaks and over 109,000 vaccinations have been given. In the past 24 hours, 45 new cases were reported in the county, which has a 14-day case rate of over 260 per 100,000 residents. In the past two weeks, every day has seen a minimum new daily case rate of 15, but no day has seen over 10% of tests administered come back positive. 18 COVID patients are currently in the hospital, and both hospital and intensive care unit utilization is at 64%, which is considered to be low risk for meeting capacity. The county's 14-day positive test percentage is 4.3%. The state of Colorado has over 430,000 cases and nearly 4,000 outbreaks. 
2.6 million people have been tested in the state, and around 6,000 people have died of COVID-19 across the state. For information on vaccines, you can visit covid19.colorado.gov. The United States has a total of over 29.1 million cases of COVID-19, with an increase of nearly 100,000 Monday. Deaths have reached over 525,000, with 815 additional deaths on Monday. In the past 14 days, cases have gone down by 12% and deaths by 18%. Worldwide, there are over 117 million cases of COVID-19 and 2.6 million deaths. Internationally, cases have gone up by 9%, while deaths have gone down by 8%. The only way for those not yet eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine to protect themselves and others from virus transmission and complications is by washing your hands for 20 seconds regularly, using hand sanitizer, wearing a face mask or cloth face covering, avoiding touching your face, and staying at home when possible. Information from this segment was gathered from the CSU COVID site, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the New York Times, and the Centers for Disease Control. For information on vaccine eligibility, go to covid19.colorado.gov. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. If you missed any of our show so far, check us out on Spotify or online at kcsufm.com news. We'll be right back with tech and weird news on the Rocky Mountain Review. This past year has brought some interesting challenges, and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. Unit D42, give recap on game six of No Ball. Error, error, did not attend. Tuning into KCSU FM Sports Show for recap. Beep, boop. KCSU Sports always has and always will bring you sports. Beep, boop. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is Tech News for Tuesday. Instagram suggested posts containing COVID-19 misinformation. According to Shannon Bond at National Public Radio, misinformation also included posts about the U.S. election and vaccines. In a report from the Center for Countering Digital Hate, it says that between September and November of 2020, 104 recommended posts recommended to 15 accounts operated by the center contained misinformation. This is equivalent to about one post per week. Imran Ahmed, the CEO for the Center for Countering Digital Hate, said of the findings, quote, the Instagram algorithm is driving people further and further into their own realities, but also splitting those realities apart so that some people are getting no information whatsoever and some people are, driven, are being driven more and more information, end quote. The recommendations are given based on an Instagram algorithm, and these posts were shown under the suggested posts feature, as well as the explore section of the application. The center says that Instagram needs to stop recommending posts until they can assure that this algorithm is not promoting what they call dangerous misinformation. Inaccuracy in Google Translate's tool may cause issues in medical instructions. 
According to Nicole Wetzman at The Verge, the popular translation tool isn't reliable enough to support non-English speaking patients in getting medical instructions 100% of the time. While it does seem to work for emergency care discharge instructions being translated from English to Spanish, it struggles with less common languages like Armenian, which only have a 55% accuracy rate using the program. The study was authored by Brina Tyra, who works as an associate professor of clinical emergency medicine at UCLA Health. The study used 400 cases of emergency department discharge instructions translated using Google Translate's tool. Seven languages were included in the study, which were Spanish, Chinese, Vietnamese, Tagalog, Korean, Armenian, and Farsi. Native speakers rated their accuracy in the study, and the overall accuracy rate was 80%, an improvement by over 20% from a similar analysis in 2014. However, this remaining 20% inaccuracy rate is still dangerous, especially as it, as it is related to less common languages having a higher rate of inaccuracy compared to more commonly spoken non-English languages in the U.S. like Spanish. Apple is discontinuing production for the iMac Pro. According to Jasmine Goodwin of CNN Business, it is still available for purchase online, but once it sells out, the computer model would no longer be available for purchase. The iMac Pro came out in 2017 and was considered the most powerful Mac to be created. The model introduced in 2017 was hardly updated throughout the years, and now the company is promoting the Mac Pro, which is a tower-style computer with better capabilities than the iMac Pro. Apple is planning on additional releases later this year as the iMac Pro retires. Non-fungible tokens, or one-of-a-kind tokens, are being auctioned for millions of dollars online. Musician and artist Grimes recently sold a group of her own non-fungible tokens, also referred to as NFTs, for nearly $6 million. Kings of Leon, a music group, is also planning to release its new album in a form of an NFT. The word token refers to a currency units in cryptocurrency blockchain, blockchain technology. NFTs can be images or other pieces of digital art or code that are unique and cannot be traded for something of equal value due to that unique status. By buying one, you buy the property rights, but not the copyright or trademark of the item in most cases. Unlike physical art, there's no visual difference between a copy or an original, and some NFTs are essentially digital reprints. That's all for Tech News Highlights. I'm Koda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be right back with Weird News with Ivy Winfrey, so stay tuned. This past year has brought some interesting challenges, and KCSU wants to hear your voice. Looking back at the past year, how do you think universities could have handled COVID-19 better? Let us know by leaving a voicemail at 970-491-2388 with your thoughts for the chance to be featured on 90.5 KCSU. Hello, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and sometimes things need to be a little bit weird. So here's a few of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world today. The official Burger King United Kingdom's Twitter account made an inflammatory tweet saying that, quote, women belong in the kitchen, end quote, on International Women's Day. 
According to writers at the World News, the official Burger King UK Twitter account made a Twitter post on March 8th, also known as International Women's Day. Initially, the entirety of the tweet simply read, quote, women belong in the kitchen, end quote. After the initial tweet, the account made a second tweet reading, quote, if they want to, of course, yet only 20% of chefs are women. We're on a mission to change the gender ratio in the restaurant industry by empowering female employees with the opportunity to pursue a culinary career, end quote. The account went on to post about a new scholarship program for female Burger King employees, but the initial post has gotten significantly more traction than the follow-ups, receiving thousands of more likes, retweets, and comments. One commenter named Harry echoed many other comments by saying, quote, This is the worst PR move of all time, haha, end quote, while others criticized the move for being intentionally inflammatory in order to generate traction and outrage. A few users noted that if the first two tweets had been combined, it still would be within Twitter's character limit, adding fuel to the idea that it was an intentional move. The account responded to criticism on Twitter by suggesting that the move was, quote, to bring attention to the lack of female representation in the restaurant industry, end quote. The COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in the creation of over 1,200 new words in the German language. According to Peter Breslow at National Public Radio, the pandemic has changed how people talk and write. In English, dictionaries have noted a few dozen new entries and revisions, including social distancing, frontliner, super spreader, and zoom as a verb, to name a few. But in Germany, lexicographers at the Lebanese Institute for German Language have compiled more than 1,200 new words related to the coronavirus pandemic. Germans' propensity for compounding words has been a big part of the proliferation. For example, Corona Mutationsgebiet is an area where coronavirus mutations are widespread. Geiste Veranstaltung, German for ghost event, is an event with no people in attendance, usually sports. Live music is allowed, provided the audience remains in their cards, at an auto concert. New nouns are often formed in German by combining two or three nouns, says Anatole Stefanowicz, a professor of linguistics at the Freie University of Berlin, saying that, quote, that is one of the expansions, explanations for why we need new, so many new words. It's just so easy to coin them. Many of these words disappear again after they've been used once, but some of them have stuck around, end quote. Mann Schutzmode, according to Stefanowicz, includes, quote, Mund for mouth, shuts for protection, and mode as a term of, of fashion. So a literal translation would be mouth protection fashion, end quote. Stefanowicz summarizes the findings by saying, quote, One of the things that the pandemic has really shown us is that people have been trying to differentiate linguistically, trying not to use too strong a word for a measure, but also not trying to make it sound too harmless. And so I think these words, they're interesting because they show the function of language and the potential of language to create ever smaller distinctions in meaning to try and get things exactly right, end quote. Toronto is asking people to not pet raccoons in the wake of an increase in raccoon attacks and sightings. According to Margarita Maltseva at the Calgary Herald, the city of Toronto, Canada's public health department has seen a 62% increase in raccoon bites and scratches since last January, compared to a two-year average between 2018 and 2019. There were also over 3,700 service requests to help ill or injured raccoons in 2020, while only over 4,000 requests were reported in 2019. 
Officials say raccoons could attack as a result of physical contact and advised Torontonians to avoid them. Toronto City officials said in a press release last week that, quote, physical contact includes feeding or petting raccoons and other wild animals and other interactions which may be otherwise avoidable. Residents who may have had physical contact with a raccoon or another wild animal should see a healthcare provider immediately to be assessed. Dr. Suzanne McDonald, a psychology professor at York University who specializes in animal behavior, said that raccoons were unlikely to change their behavior over the past years. The fact that people encounter these animals more often is probably because they spend more time outdoors since they cannot go elsewhere due to the lockdown. McDonald said, quote, I would assume the only thing that has changed is people's behavior, and I don't think that raccoons have changed over the past year. I think probably because people are working from home and going outside to get some fresh air and exercise, they're just encountering animals where they never would be before. The animals have been there all along, we just weren't. End quote. That's all the weird news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And now, for the weather. This Tuesday, Fort Collins experienced warm and sunny skies with a high of 66 and a low of 33, with low wind speeds and no chance of rain. Wednesday will cool down just a bit with some clouds rolling in and winds speeding up to 15 miles per hour with a high of 49 and a low of 26. Thursday, the city will experience scattered rain showers and winds around 9 miles per hour with a high of 46 and a low of 30. And for Friday, you'll have to tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review from 4 to 5 p.m. this Thursday for our next episode on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Information for this segment was gathered from the Weather Channel, and if you missed any part of the show or won't be able to make it to next show, always make sure to check us out on Spotify at KCSU News Podcast or online at kcsufm.com slash news. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Thomas Taylor, Asher Korn, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Matt Guzmarati, Maddie Erskine, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time. from UVR, you're listening to 90.5 KCSU.